Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. I am so excited to be coming into your homes, and thank you for letting us into your home. Praise God that we're still able to worship him no matter where we're at, and I pray that you at home are joining us in prayer, joining us in worship so that we can continue to lift uh, God to his proper place, which is above everything else that is happening right now. Well, I'm excited because today we're opening up a new series called The Next Step. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready for the next step because I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm certainly ready for something new, something different. You know, with everything that's going on around us, maybe some of you are wondering what could be next because it seems like we're fighting an uphill battle. And can, we're wondering, could it get any worse? I mean, we keep thinking that nothing else will surprise us, only to be surprised again. And I'm sure some of you guys have seen all the memes of all the craziness that's going on. I mean, just for me, recently, I spent some time in my backyard, and I decided to call it a vacation, because why not? In fact, my family, I think, and I have made uh, Amazon a lot of money, and maybe, just maybe, you can relate to some of that stuff as well. And there's been so many challenges, even this week. In fact, if you're a parent with school-age children, you had, let's call it an interesting week, you know, uh, one filled with some anticipation, some worry, some fear, you know, fear of the unknown because you don't know how your child's going to react to this new way of learning. And if you have one more, more than one child, then you have to get new equipment. I mean, it's kind of maybe not a mess, but certainly a new normal is, is a good way to say it. And then you think about all the teachers and the new normal for them and all the adjustments that they had to make to get ready to teach your children. I mean, it, it, all of it, to me, sounds nerve-wracking. And in the meantime, we're all kind of reeling from past events that have really divided our nation. And we keep thinking, I mean, can get it any worse than this? For me personally, I keep seeing that they won't let us open church. And yet I see everywhere else. And there seems to be crowds everywhere else. And, and it's very difficult to, to reconcile those things. And on a personal level, I, I know that it's still very tough for people personally. In fact, at this church... I spoke to someone and met with someone this week who is planning a funeral for a loved one because of COVID. I spoke to a parent this week who has a teenager who is struggling, and they can't really pinpoint why except to know that things got worse through pandemic, and they're asking for help. And I sat down with a friend who I really like how he put it. And he, he put it, and he said, you know, he put it perfectly and said, it would seem like all of us are walking around with this smiled form of depression. And I really agree. It's almost like we don't know exactly what's going on. It's almost like we're in a funk and, and we don't know what to do with it. In fact, how should we respond to something like that? Well, the first thing I want to share with you this morning, and listen to me carefully, is that God is not surprised by any of this. And praise God, and I mean that, praise God for Jesus being by our side, but you know, not only by our side, in us and working through us to comfort us and lead us and guide us. Praise God for that. So over the next four weeks, if, if you're open to what the Spirit of God would say to you, I believe that he's going to speak directly to some of you, every single one of us. If you are willing to take this one step, because we're talking about what the next step is, to do something that will outlast you. So the obvious question this morning, are you willing? Are you willing and open to what the Spirit of God would say? Because no matter who you are, you could be the best of the best, or you could feel like an ordinary person like me, or maybe, you're, maybe you don't even feel like you're exceptionally gifted or talented, because let me just tell you, God 
can use any of you. So over the next four weeks, we're going to study the book of Nehemiah. And right off the bat, I'll tell you, I'm going to share with you Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, because that's critical. And it says, so they begin a good work. Now, I'm going to tell you what leads up to up until this point, but it says right here in Scripture that they begin a good work. So if you have the faith to believe that God might be able to, you know, speak to you, not, not only to help you endure these times, but to actually prompt you and compel you to do even more, will you right now, wherever you're at, whether it's at home or driving or just listening to the sound of my voice, will you just bow in prayer with me as we just prepare for the rest of this message? Father, we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would stir us to believe that we can do exceedingly more than we can imagine or ask for. Father, that by your power that we would make a difference in the lives of people. Lord, I ask that you would give us the courage and the faith to step out to take that next step, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts. Stir us and to use our gifts to, to glorify you in all that we do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So what I wanted to talk to you about today specifically is what do you do when you can't take it anymore? Because I think to some degree we can all relate whether it's you're a student or, or at work or, or at school, whatever it is, we can all relate to there's some things that are happening right now that, you know, we can't just, we can't take it anymore. And, and I'm excited this morning, and I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm excited because we're going to look at, in my opinion, one of the most captivating, one of the most motivating, one of the most inspirational stories in the Old Testament about this ordinary guy by the name of Nehemiah that made, he, he, he made an extraordinary difference. In fact, I will tell you that this story changed my life over 20 years ago. And it changed my life because at that time, I was asked by my pastor at the time to lead a Spanish Bible study to a small group. And at the time, I didn't know much about the Bible. I knew the basics, but I just didn't know much about the Bible. And he said, well, what a perfect way to learn more about the Bible than to study it and teach it to somebody else. So I said yes. And I chose to, book, to, to study the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And the reason I chose Nehemiah is because I could relate to the guy. You see, Nehemiah was neither a pastor, nor a priest, nor a king, or a prophet, or, or a warrior. I mean, he was just an ordinary guy like you and me that had something happen in his life that broke his heart, that crushed his spirit, and he couldn't take it anymore. He didn't know what was that, that was going to look like, but he was compelled to make a difference. You see, Nehemiah, the Bible teaches that he was a cupbearer. And he was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. His name was King Artaxerxes. Now, a cupbearer in today's context is more like a, like a server, like maybe a waiter, except that this position was an incredibly trusted role. If you could imagine, he had access to the king. And it, and it wasn't like they were buddy buddies, but he had access in the sense that he could hear private conversations and he could hear important confidential information. So right off the bat, we know that Nehemiah was trustworthy, full of integrity. He, he was incredibly loyal to the king. He had to be because of his mere title. You see, his main responsibility as a cupbearer was to protect the king by tasting the wine to see if it was 
poisoned or not and good enough for the, for the, you know, the king to drink. Now, you may be thinking, wine tasting, what a cool job. Where do I sign up, right? Which sounds cool until you realize that risk, that risk that people at that time would plot against the king and the way they would try to take their life, again, was to poison their drink. So it's not so cool anymore. And now we're just hoping that Nehemiah has good life insurance and health insurance, right? So one day, Nehemiah had a conversation that changed his life. And here's where we pick up the story. Open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2, and we're going to stay there for a bit. And this is where it says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So here we see that Nehemiah gets a visit from his brother who tells him about his people, who tells him about his homeland. And, and here's some context before we move forward. About 140 years prior to that, which is about 586 B.C., the Babylonians, under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, attacked the Jewish people and completely, completely demolished their city. They demolished their, their life, their culture. They destroyed Solomon's temple. It is now rubble, wiped away to the ground. The city walls are completely destroyed and now rubble. Not only that, after that, the Babylonians take the Jewish people they take them captive, and they take them away from their homeland, and now they're in bondage for a very long time. And if you recall some of the past messages, this is where we talk about the prophet Jeremiah and the book of Daniel. All of those things happened during that time. Now, as you can imagine, the Jewish people were demoralized. They felt completely hopeless. I mean, thinking, what are we going to do? We have no homeland. And, and life for them, as they knew it, was over. Now, for us today, we haven't been taken captive into another, into another land. But I think we can relate to the hopelessness, the loss, and the frustration, and maybe even a lack of understanding, because our way of life has been turned upside down. Now, I would never want to relate to the plight of the Jewish people during that time, except to say that we can relate to the hopelessness and the frustrations. And maybe, or perhaps, we haven't been taken physically captive into another land, but we have definitely been taken captive by a pandemic. And I think you would agree. So then decades later, a remnant, the Bible says, which is about 50,000 Jews, they moved back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And they thought, you know, we're going to rebuild the city that we love, our homeland. We're, we're going to try to make it a better future. The problem was that they couldn't get anything going. They had opposition, and they found themselves at a standstill. So that is the context. That is where we pick up the story. So then Nehemiah's brother Hanani says to Nehemiah in verse 3, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So in other words, with no wall... And no gates, we have no protection from looming attacks. I mean, it was impossible to rebuild. And think about it, there's, there, there's no jobs, there's the, no economic system, there's no leadership, there's no direction, no confidence, no protection, no plan, which equals no hope. And I think some of us feel that way right now. So what do you do when you, can't, when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you hear or you see something that is breaking your heart and then you know that there's a good work that needs to begin, 
and needs to be done. And maybe you're even compelled that God is asking you to do something. What do you do? Well, I can tell you what Nehemiah did. The first thing that we see Nehemiah do is what we probably do on rare occasions, at least for me. And I think this has happened to all of us at some point in our life. But verse 4 says, when I heard these things, you know, Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and I wept. Means Nehemiah literally sat down and he cried. So here it is, folks. If you feel hopeless, what you do is that you sit down and you cry. Now, let me explain this a bit more to you because it sounds kind of simple, right? Like, what, well, how is that going to help? Well, that means you sit down and you let whatever it is, whether it's the injustice, the unknown, the fear, the anxiety, and you let it break your heart. Nehemiah said that when I heard these things, when I heard about the devastation, when I heard about the hopelessness of, of my people, it says that he sat down and he wept and that it crushed him, that it broke his heart. And what's interesting to me at that, at this time where Nehemiah hears the news, he's about a thousand miles away. And he's actually living a pretty good life, a comfortable life, because he lived in the palace walls. I mean, I know he was an ordinary guy, but he was still a servant, yet he had it pretty good. I mean, think about it. This guy is eating the same food that the king is eating. And if, and if the king is watching a 4K TV, Nehemiah is watching it with him. I mean, talk about he's serving, he's probably taking selfies, you know, hashtag blessed to be served or hashtag roughing it for God. I mean, think about it. Kind of reminds me, you guys remember the celebrities not too long ago that were posting up either selfies or videos saying, we're all in all this, we're, we're in all of this together. And then you would see a, you know, the background of this mansion that they live in. And you're thinking, no, we're not in all of this, in, in all of this together. I, I, I want to live like that too. You know, I, I don't know about you again, but, but sometimes in my comfort, I can be scrolling to some of the news stories and I see something that, that, that doesn't sound good or that's terrible. And I think, oh, you know, that's too bad or that's terrible or, you know, there's so far away, there's, there's not a whole lot I can do. So here I am living a comfortable life. And I, I mean, I say a little prayer for them, but it's just, does it really break my heart? And I have to be honest, it, it doesn't, but I do say a little prayer for them. And at that moment, you see, Nehemiah in the story had a choice to make. And, and I think it's the same choice that all of us have to make right now in our situation. Nehemiah had to choose. He could either acknowledge the plight of his people and say, oh, that's too bad. Or what a shame. Oh, I really feel bad for them or badly for them. Or he could choose to do what I'm asking you to do. And that is to let the pain in. To transfer it from head knowledge into your heart to the point that for Nehemiah, it bothered him. It moved him. It stirred him with emotion. It gave him a, a burden. It, it was kind of a pain in his soul, if you will. When he heard the news, he didn't do what is really easy for all of us to do, which is to brush it off. He sat down and he cried because it broke his heart. So let me ask you, of all the things that are going on right now, which of them break your heart? What burdens you? What creates a righteous anger on behalf of God? What is it that crushes your spirit when you hear about it or you look at it? 
Maybe for some of you, it is the, the plight of hurting children. Maybe it's those children who can't read or write and, and, or have special needs and you just want to help them. Maybe it's those have, that have been bullied or neglected. Maybe it's those who are bound by addiction and because you've gone through it, it breaks your heart and you want to do something about it. Maybe it's for people that are hostage to drugs. Or maybe it's for people that are trapped, and I mean trapped in, in the lustful world of pornography. And again, you've been through that, and, and you don't want that for anybody else. Maybe it's for those who are trafficked. And folks, there's a lot of them. And they're abused their whole life. Maybe it's those that are impoverished and, and don't have clean drinking water, and you're wondering, how, how is that so in, in today's day and age? Maybe your plight is that you just want people to hear the gospel, the good news of Christ, wherever they may be. Maybe you feel compelled to speak on behalf of the unborn. Someone needs to stand up for those who stand up for, can't stand up for themselves. So what is it that breaks your heart of all the things that you are seeing? You see, folks, listen to me carefully right now. God's command to go and make disciples, disciples, to go and tell, to go and serve the least of this, hasn't gone away through this pandemic. The fact that we're all distracted or focused or navigating and dealing with our own problems does not take away God's calling and purpose in our lives. In fact, I think it's one of Satan himself. I mean, one of his strategies is for us to be so self-focused that we are unable to see outside of ourselves. I mean, with all the noise and all the stuff that we have to deal with, we just don't have the bandwidth to see and hear those who are hurting around us. And so what do we do? We argue about colors. You know, I like red, and here's why. Well, I like blue. And here's why. But it's actually, our conversations are more like, I don't like red, and here's why. And I don't like blue, and here's why. You know, I think it's okay to have convictions. I have my own convictions. In fact, this is nothing political. But I will tell you that all of us are going to vote our conscience. But one of the things that does break my heart is that Christians, the statistics show that only 50% of them actually go out and vote. So I would encourage you to go out and vote your conscience. So have your convictions. But let me tell you, don't forsake what is first. And that is that almighty God and what he would have you do comes first. And I know it looks different for all of us. In fact, I'll tell you a, a quick story of what, I mean, shook my heart in a way that even to this day is hard to describe. And it happened to me on my first mission trip down to Juarez, Mexico. And I, and I know some of you this heard this before, but, but it's important. You know, we were working on building a wall and we were heading indoors for lunch and I decided to stay outside and I sat on the ground and I reclined against the, the wall of the sanctuary and I don't know why I didn't go in with the rest of the group for lunch. Maybe I just needed a break from high schoolers at that point. I don't know. But, and there was, right in front of me, it was a group of very young kids, you know, maybe eight years old or whatever, and they're on top of a mound of dirt. And we were using that dirt to mix cement because that's what we did on that trip. And they're on top of that, that, that hill, if you will, and they're playing this game kind of like king of the hill. They were trying to push each other off. And I was just watching all of this unfold. And this plane turned into fighting, and then fighting turned into one kid punching another kid, which turned into crying. And I could have stopped this, 
But I didn't. I didn't because I was enjoying it. And in my mind, I had already placed bets on who was going to win, and I wanted to let it play out, right? So uh, I know, don't, don't judge me, but that's exactly what happened. When all of a sudden I'm sitting there watching, and I am tired because we're out in the sun working, and, and, and something, I felt something that I had never felt before. And, and I still can't explain it today. And it was like this, this burden and this weight. And immediately, uncontrollably, I started to cry. And of course, at that time, I was really, you know, manly, so I didn't cry very easily. And, and, but now I'm thinking, what in the world's going on to me? And I'm glad nobody's watching. And I'm thinking, this is kind of scare, scary and weird at the same time. And then all of a sudden, my attention is focused on this one boy that's crying. And this one boy, I'm not exaggerating, he has snot running all over him because he's been crying. And, you know, he just looked a mess. And all of a sudden, it hits me that God puts in my heart that, and he says, you were one of those boys. You grew up like that. You need to help. He wasn't pointing at me. That's just what I felt. And I knew at that moment that I would never be the same and that he was going to ask me to do something. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I would never be the same. And about 14 years later, this church, meaning you, every single one of you, because if anyone has gotten involved in this ministry down in Mexico, it's been all of you, almost all of you. It's amazing. 14 years later, we started a church down in Mexico, a feeding ministry, and now an elementary school. So praise God for breaking hearts. Not because the mind was broken, but because he has broken all of yours for the people down in Mexico as well, as well as the people in the Philippines and, and in Long Beach, which is where we serve the homeless. So praise God for breaking hearts. And, and I believe that at some point or another, God breaks all of our hearts for someone or something. And you may say, you know, that maybe because of your age, or, or you may say, that, that has never happened to me. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that maybe you haven't allowed certain things that bother you to really sink in. Maybe, like me, you were afraid to face those emotions. So if you haven't, this is what I encourage you to do. Next time that happens, just let it move you. Sit down, and, and if you're compelled to, cry about it. I mean, today, when I start to get that feeling, I don't worry as much about that feeling anymore because I now recognize it. But you know what worry me, worries me more now? What worries me more is the, when I don't get that feeling for a long time. You see, I want my heart to be open. And I, want, I need it to be broken. And if it needs to be broken, then so be it. Because I want to be open to the things that break God's heart. So what do you do when you can't take it anymore? You sit down and you have a good cry. And then the second thing that you do that Nehemiah did is that you kneel and you pray. So listen, church, if it's big enough to cry about, then it's big enough to pray about. And if it's big enough to complain about, then it's big enough to pray about. Listen to what Nehemiah said in verse 4. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That means we go before the God of heaven and we invoke his power in prayer. And Nehemiah cries out to God, and in verse 5, this is what he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear 
the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, Nehemiah's prayer continues, and he goes on to confess his own sin, to confess the sin of his people. He reminds God and of God's promises and of God's faithfulness. And then in verse 11, he talks to God about the king and says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Of course, speaking of the king. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, you will see that he prays over and over again because Nehemiah realized that God plus one, God plus Nehemiah always equals the majority. And folks, I hope that you understand that what you pray about really reflects what you truly believe in your God. I mean, if our only prayers are to bless this food and keep me safe and, and give me a good day, then those are fine. But I think you're really missing out on the real power of God. Why not ask God to stretch you, to use you? Pray bold prayers. Pray for the impossible. We need a lot of those right now. Pray for miracles. Pray for healing, for revival, for unity. Pray that God would use you to meet people's needs. And then you believe in that power and the glory of God. Amen, church? We all have a job to do. What's interesting here is that this is the first of 12 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. 12 that we know about, which means that there could have been hundreds, maybe even thousands. We see it at the beginning. We see it in the middle of the story. We see it at the end when he goes before God. And what I love about Nehemiah and you're going to find out in the upcoming weeks, is that he goes from ordinary to extraordinary, and then he, he becomes this leadership expert, and he knows, and, but he does it in a practical way. I mean, he studies, and he strategizes, and he casts vision. I mean, he delegates. So how do you do a good work when you can't take it anymore? You sit down, and you cry. And at some point, you kneel down, and you go into a room, and you pray, and folks, it sounds really simple. And you're probably thinking, I mean, seriously, after all the stuff that's going on, that there's two things that you want me to do? It sounds simple, but there is nothing simple about it. Because if you do that, if you do those two things, God is going to come knocking. And he's going to ask you to do something like he did me. And once that takes place, you have to decide to stand up and step up. Stand up and step up. So Nehemiah takes the cup and he goes to visit the king and his heart is heavy and the king can tell. So in chapter two, verse four, the king says, what is it you want? Then Nehemiah does it again. He prays. So this time he sends up this kind of like this flare prayer. And you guys know the type where you just, you're about to do something and you need God's help. And you're like, oh God, help me right now, please. And this is what he says. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are. They're buried so that I can rebuild it. And there it is, the bold ask. He didn't know how, he didn't know when, but he asked for a God-sized task. Remember, there was a remnant of about 50,000 Jews that hadn't been able to accomplish much. So here's Nehemiah saying, send me, God. 
He says, my people are hurting. The walls are down. The city is exposed. I can't just sit and do nothing. Somebody has to do something. Might as well be me. So he stood up and he stepped up. Listen, folks, I don't know who this is for. But I do know that God is still working through this pandemic. And he's still compelling his people to stand up and step up. To take that next step, which that next step is always found in Jesus. There's a lot wrong with what's going on today. Who's going to help? Maybe you've tried to keep it at the distance. Maybe you don't know what to do about it. So if that's you, I encourage you to first let it in. Again, let that pain wreck you, if you will. Let the burden overwhelm you. Sit down and, 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 and ache and cry. Then go into a quiet place, kneel and pray and invoke the power of God in prayer because God is faithful and he would lead you to stand up and he would lead you to step up. There will be doubt. The enemy is going to come and he's going to tell you, you know, who do you think you are? You don't have, you can't do this by yourself. I mean, there's so much doubt that is going to happen. He's going to tell you, you're not a pastor. You aren't trained. You don't have any experience. Listen to me, church. You don't have to be appointed by man if you are called by God. You don't have to be chosen by people if God prompts your heart and asks you to do something. All you have to do is take the next step and step into it. And then you trust him and then you watch him act. You feel the presence of God just carrying you on. You know, I mentioned to you at the beginning of the of this message that the book of Nehemiah changed my life over 20 years ago. But let me tell you why. Because it was at that point that I told God and I promised him that I would take one step, just one. I would take one step if he promised to do the rest. If he promised to open doors, if he promised to just kind of be a light unto my path, if you will. Meaning that if he opened the door, I was going to be obedient and I was going to take a step in. You know, and what I was thinking at the time, and honestly, I was thinking, how hard could that be? I mean, how many doors can he possibly open? Like, all the burden is on God. Well, since then, God has allowed me to become a pastor, has called me to become a pastor, to start ministry. And now I'm talking to you about it. So God can do a lot with one step. Because it's amazing how God works. He is looking for ordinary people like you and me that are willing to take that next step. And that next step may be a step of faith. When you do, it has been my experience, and Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah shows that as well, is that God will take care of the rest. So join me over the next coming weeks as we talk specifically about how he did that. Will you bow in prayer with me? Father, we ask, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today. Father, I thank you for this church and those people that are listening to my voice right now that are not priests, prophets, or kings, but God, in your kingdom, they are servants of the Most High God, Lord, and I ask that you give every single one of us opportunities to make a difference. And in doing so, Lord, we ask for your power, your provision, your protection, your wisdom, your direction to guide every next step that we take. 
Father, I ask that wherever we may go, whatever we may do, we would do it all for your glory. So, Lord, stir in us what breaks your heart. That we might act on your behalf to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. So speak to us today. And if you're listening right now, and you don't have Christ in your life, and you know, and you hear, and you're compelled to, to let God in, I just ask that you would repeat this prayer in your heart silently after me and say, Father, today I turn from my sins. I give my life to you, Jesus. I, I recognize that, that I've made mistakes in the past, Lord, so now I surrender my life to you, and as best as I know how, I will live for you. So, Father, you, you hear those prayers. You hear uh, all those people that, that are praying that you would use them boldly to make a difference in, around us, Lord. And I pray that in your faithfulness, as you stir people's hearts, that you would complete the work that you begin in them as people stand up and step up. Lord, lead them and guide them. Give them the power, the perseverance, the courage, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.